0: You're listening to Catholic Faith on the Move podcast, a journey on the road to heaven. This episode, we will explore the writings of Bishop Fulton Sheen, learn about the life of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, and go on pilgrimage to one of the most important places in Christendom, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem.
1: Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle on us the fire of your love.
0: In 2014, Sue and I were blessed to be able to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and um, as a part of that, probably the highlight of the trip was to be able to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is where we're going to go on pilgrimage today, um, it's appropriately enough. The uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was uh, initially built in 326 by Constantine, uh, the Roman Emperor who had converted to Christianity um, through the love and prayers of his mother, Saint Helena, and it's been the uh, it's the site of um, the crucifixion of Christ, the anointing of his body, and his burial in the tomb, and it's unlike any church you really think of when you think of a church you know you don't walk in one set of doors and see an altar up front with a cross over it Um, it's actually uh, a huge structure that encompasses um, several chapel chapels and and um, small little uh, altars uh, throughout um, each one having some significance whether it's to the uh, religious order that takes care of that particular section um, or uh, obviously with the, uh, with the Passion of Christ, His crucifixion and burial in the tomb. Um, and it's, uh, it's an amazing structure and an amazing visit and a place to go on pilgrimage.
1: Now Chip and I are going to take you along our journey on our pilgrimage day with our group tour. And like many of the groups, we start off with the uh, Via Della Rosa, and I know that for me, part of it, as you start off, we did actually have the opportunity to take turns carrying the cross and we sang along the way and it was very beautiful. And it is quite an experience you're going through and there are other groups going through and doing that too. But the rest of the town is going on with their daily work and school and shopping and So you're going through that. It must be an experience for them to see all these groups going through.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All these pilgrim groups coming through, carrying, carrying their crosses Mm -hmm. through the marketplace.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of serene that we're in this moment, but I will say at first you kind of get caught up with taking the pictures and having your turn and videotaping and where everyone is at and you start to become more of a tourist than a pilgrim but thank goodness we did have uh, a wonderful priest father um, mike schmitz that was with us and on one of the, there are several places where you stop and we went into a little chapel and part of his talk was telling us reminding us what we were doing and i think at that point for me it really changed back to being a pilgrimage it really um I started to actually feel that presence of what we were doing.
0: Right. Rather than being a tourist, it was a, it was a nice opportunity to be able to to take a moment and collect ourselves and stop taking pictures and videos and just think about, you know, where we were standing and and what had happened there 2000 years ago.
1: I know it was quite emotional for myself and I know some other people. Um, so it, it was a beautiful experience to be able to do that. And, and I will tell you, uh, Last year, and of course this year, it totally changes your life. Um, it's one of the most important things that make me think everyone really needs to go there. So as we continue on, you come into the, the courtyard of the Holy Sepulchre, and there's a grand entrance. And as you come in, uh, a beautiful scene with some beautiful lamps, is over the stone of anointing,
0: right? Which is the first thing you see walking in the door, and it's a, you know, a marble, a marble stone that's there um, that you can, you know, venerate, and um, and everybody does when they first walk in, and and it's just a, you know, it's just a a good reminder as you're walking in. The first thing that you see is this is where Christ was laid after he was crucified and, and anointed for burial as you walk in the door.
1: And I notice. I myself did this and most people you want to touch it. And you also a lot of times want to touch some of the things that you got there um, to be blessed by touching the stone. And it smells so beautiful because a lot of people bring different oils and put it over the stone. And then all your objects gain that smell. And I know a lot of things that I brought back for people. Had that scent, and so many of them still comment on how that was so important to them, how that really, you know, really struck them, and they felt that they had that smell of Jerusalem.
0: Right, right. It was very, very visceral, very, um, you know, using, like the Catholic Church always does, using all our senses to experience things. So it was a uh, great reminder of that.
1: And the next place you come up to are the steps going up to Golgotha. Of course, now when they did the sepulcher, you no longer have the actual hill there. They've taken that away and you actually just, they've kept the actual rock where the cross was and all the rest of it built around it. There's some steps and there are purposely uneven and very large and it's, it's, quite a task just to walk up these steps.
0: And I think that adds to the, the the spirit of the pilgrimage too. So that you're walking up these steps that are, that you can't just skip up, you know, you have to concentrate on what you're doing and focus on, um, what you're doing as you're climbing up the hill where Jesus was crucified. And, and to have that thought in your, you know, in the forefront of your brain as you're walking up these steps is, is critical.
1: And then you get to the top. Um, and you're just struck with the beauty of the site. They have it's very ornamental, and there's an altar over the actual place where the cross was. And the pilgrimages, you pilgrims, we, you very people are very reverent and silent. Um, it's quite beautiful, and you have there's some little uh, places you could sit and contemplate or adore, and you take turns and you get to go up and you actually have to bend over and several people you can, there's a hole where you can place your hand in and you can kind of touch If you reach down in, you can actually touch the top of the rock there. And, um,
0: yeah, it's an amazing experience to be able to, to, kneel down there under the altar and, and venerate that, um, holy place. And, uh, there's pretty much always a line in front of that, you know, too, with all the pilgrims that are coming through. So it's uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place mm-hmm. to. Uh, and
1: I to know go. one of the one of the pictures that you captured there, you really like. They have the um, you can get candles that you can light there.
0: Right, and uh, to offer up uh, you know prayers of uh, uh, Thanksgiving or you know prayers of intercession for someone, and to to light the candles there and have them burning. At uh, at Calvary, where or Jesus died, and um, we'll try to throw that picture on the blog to accompany this uh, this post.
1: And then you go down and around the corner, you actually see the place of the tomb, and they've built a stone structure around that. And there's usually a long line there, and you're actually very lucky if you have an opportunity to go inside that structure and have an opportunity to touch your hand at the place where Jesus where lay.
0: And the reason why it's such a difficulty is because there's, there's so many um, religious orders that have a, that have a place in the church of the Holy Sepulchre and there is a mass or a divine liturgy that's going on all the time there. So um, that's a part of why there's a line to go into that.
1: And what we did have an opportunity, the uh, Franciscans have a chapel there, and that's where we had the Mass with our group for the day, and inside that chapel, too, there's a piece of what they believe to be a part of the pillar where Jesus was scourged.
0: Right, and it's um, interesting, too, is that the Mass that you have there is actually the Easter Sunday Mass, so um, regardless of what day of the week it is that you're there or what time of the year it is that you're there. You know, we celebrated the, the risen Christ and, and the Easter, um, Easter liturgy uh, at that mass, even though it was in the middle of January when we were there.
1: Now, when we were there with our group, it was the afternoon and it's quite busy and you're one of many tour groups there. But we had an opportunity to have a quieter experience.
0: Yeah, that was an amazing thing. And again, it was uh, Father Mike Schmitz that told us about this. But in the wintertime, the uh, doors to the Holy Sepulchre open at 4 a.m. Uh, in the summertime, it's 5 a.m. Um, but if you can get up early enough, and we did, um, and leave your hotel and get there when the doors open, um, there's just a handful of people in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre at that time. Um, obviously, the the Franciscan Orders and, and the other um, rites that are there, um, taking care of their parts of it, and a few pilgrims um, who are there that early in the morning. Um, and it becomes a, a much more mystical experience and a much more, um, I don't know, a beneficial to your spiritual life kind of experience when you're there and it's that quiet and you're able to just sit and contemplate um, by yourself sitting on the floor in front of Golgotha or in front of the tomb. Um, makes it a much more special and an amazing experience when you get that opportunity.
1: And of course, I think one of our our best experiences happened by mistake. Perhaps <laughs> uh, the first day, Chip and I went together, and we were there at four o'clock, and we came in, and there were a couple people outside the tomb, and you're it's kind of you wonder are we allowed to go in can we not go in because it's sometimes very confusing what exactly is going on and they open it up and uh chip and i went in and we happened to be there with uh a priest and it looked like maybe a nun and one other person and they have a little wooden door at the front and they started to put the little wooden door on the outside when you go in to the tomb it's actually two very small rooms the, the outer room uh where they do the worship and then there's actually you go through an even smaller door uh to where actually the
0: the tomb is the tomb is right
1: uh so and in that section maybe just like two people if you back in like two people can kind of go in and then you kind of back right back out so they went to put the door on and they kind of looked at us and they said mass and we shook our head yes, yes. sure <laughs> and uh it was being said in italian
0: yeah so
1: they did um a daily mass service in italian and
0: we were privileged enough to be there in in the tomb of christ to to receive him in communion so it was amazing amazing experience
1: and in the midst of this awe probably the most interesting part do you want to tell <laughs>
0: Sure, Are we talking about the yeah. So um, says so the priest comes out to offer uh, communion to us. You know, it's an Italian priest, an Italian nun, and a couple of Italian tourists and us. And uh, so he's you know saying Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, and even to Sue, who you know is of Italian t- heritage, he said Corpus Christi. And then he looked at me, and I had her multicolored backpack on my back looked at the backpack and he said the body of a christ <laughs> obviously i was an american not an italian as opposed to everybody else that was in the tomb with us so that was kind of a fun experience but
1: that was a spec yeah it was very special and we did um end up having two more having two other uh one we partook of a mass up uh at golgotha and then another one out just outside the tomb,
0: just outside the tomb. There's a mass at uh, I think at about six o'clock in the morning, um, a Catholic mass uh, outside the tomb every morning. And each of the different rites has a different liturgy going on at different times. And it's all very well coordinated by the Franciscans and the um, uh, they maintain order and a timetable and and everything for all the different. And
1: while it's very well coordinated, to us it's very confusing because <laughs> things are going on and you're just like,
0: what is that? And why are they bring, Why are they carrying out those benches and bringing in new benches? And they rolled up the carpet and they're bringing in a different carpet. And basically, it's because each rite has their own um, decoration and um, uh, uses for the different uh, spots in the in the holy mm-hmm. sepulcher.
1: So. I hope that everyone has an opportunity to go there. I definitely, now having that experience, I tell everyone that if you have vacation plans, put this at the top because it changes you. And someone even noted the other day when they came back and I know that it's changed me and my whole experience every day, every time you go to mass, um, every time you read something, you're, you you that feeling. I was there. I touched that. You know, it just takes on a whole another layer. And someone else did explain say to me that I, they felt that I had really changed. And it has to. That experience has to change you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you've ever if you ever get the opportunity, uh, we highly recommend that um, you take part in a in a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and, now, and try to get to the Holy Sepulchre. Yeah,
1: we were very lucky to go on a. Uh, our group was with Jeff Caven, So um, there are several people that are very familiar with everything, but we got all kinds of information and that was great. But I know that now that we've been there, uh, there is a hotel in the Notre Dame center right next to the Holy Sepulcher. And I know that that's where we want to go back to because then we would be able to, you would have that opportunity to, uh, get there early and stay there late, and be there at times when it weren't the, were, there weren't a lot of tourists.
0: Right. So if you're if you're ever back there and going to do that, we would recommend the Notre Dame Center to stay at. It's very close, and um, it, the Holy Sepulchre is a place that, uh, as Catholics, you, you you almost have to go. I mean, this whole concept of pilgrimage and and the concept of pilgrimage from the olden days of, you know, you had to make this pilgrimage, it makes you more holy. Well, it does. I mean, there's there's a reason why pilgrimages exist, and um, the Holy Sepulchres is, is probably the top of the list when it comes to, to Catholic pilgrimages. Check out our blog and other information, including links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, at our website, catholicfaithonthemove.com, or send us an email at move at gmail.com.
1: Today we're going to get to know a little bit more about Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, who is best known for her books and writing of the Dolores Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was made famous when Mel Gibson made his movie about the Passion of the Christ and he used the book and the information here for most of uh, the movie, he accredited her for that.
0: She was born in 1774 in um, Flamschen, Germany, um, known as the Holy Roman Empire at the time. And as a young child, she always wanted to join uh, the convent and become a, a nun um, from, a, from a very early age, she felt that that call.
1: And she started getting visions at a very young age, and she realized quickly that this was something that not everyone had, so she tried not to speak of it but she also had um, feelings that she was able to discern uh, things that were holy and things that were evil. And it was known that she would be out working. And if the blessed sacrament was exposed near her, uh, she would start kneeling and praying in that direction. And also she knew if she came across a holy relic she was able to tell all the information about that relic where it came Mm -hmm. from and then all about that saint too so she had a lot of knowledge about what was going on that for uh, a girl young girl who was very poor and hadn't read very much matter of fact had mentioned that while she was familiar with parts of the bible from going to mass she hadn't really read the new Testament or old Testament. So her visions and her insight was really quite astounding.
0: So as a young girl, when she wanted to get into the convent, you know, most convents require a dowry for a young girl to enter. And she was so poor that she didn't have that. She tried several um, orders and was unable to get in. And then she found an order that was going to take her in, but they wanted her to go work with this family or to go learn how to play the organ uh, in order to be her, basically her dowry to get in was then they would have an organist at the order. Um, So she went to stay with this um, family um, and learn the organ from them. Um, But it was a very poor family. And she ended up giving all the money that she had earned over the course of time from her various odd jobs to help support this family and never learned to play the organ. Um, Turned out though, that eventually she and a daughter of this family that she was staying with um, did enter the Augustinian order in Germany.
1: And, In her order, she was very noted for her hard work. And even though throughout most of her life, she was very sick, she worked very hard. And of course, this caused some jealousy, it seems like, to be um, something that goes along with a lot of the saints, especially the nuns, that they were sick, but they worked very hard.
0: Right. I became a little bit jealous of the other sisters in her order became jealous of her fastidiousness when it came to, came to devotions and the traditions of the order.
1: So later on, she also had, uh, she got the stigmata, but prior to that, she also in one of her prayers had a vision of Jesus and was offered a crown of thorns or a crown of flowers. And she asked for the crown of thorns. And at that, um, From that time onward, she would get that crown and have actually have uh, blood from her bonnet. But she kept it concealed because she knew that people just didn't understand. So anytime she could, she tried to conceal her pain. And a lot of times, once the actual outward physical manifestation of whatever she was feeling she still inwardly she had that pain left over
0: right and she was um she had fairly poor health too as a result and probably as soon as she chose that crown of thorns that probably resulted in some of her poor health and and some of the suffering that she had in her life um to try to mirror the suffering of christ
1: and then later on unfortunately what was going on in their country uh the nuns the
0: the Augustinian order was suppressed for a time by the by the king.
1: Yes, and so she actually had to go live with a family. But again, she was being very poor. She had to live at their mercy, and she lived out her life uh, in a very small room um, in poverty. And but during this time, she was able to uh, give lots of her information and visions for her books to a poet that was noted for writing with her, for her books. And a lot of people know that there is the Dolores Passion, but actually her writings consist of four volumes, four four large volumes. And in the first one, it actually starts off at the beginning of time. So while it may not have the imprimatur, it is very interesting to read and you get a sense. And I know that her book on the passion of Christ, um, to take that book and to read, especially the parts starting with Gethsemane. I know that, um, I found it very, I just really enjoy reading that. Um, especially if you read that during adoration, um, on holy thursday uh, it really
0: it's a movie makes it much more moving experience to sit in front of our yes. lord when you read that description of it
1: all of her writing is very i mean very descriptive and you feel like you are there matter of fact while it hasn't been totally accepted there are several parts that just cannot be denied like i said she doesn't have a formal education and there's so much that she knew and so much intricate and the information that she gave. Matter of fact, one of the um, stories from the book actually led to the finding of Mary's house in Ephesus.
0: Right. And uh, even though she hadn't been there or the translator, uh, the poet hadn't been there either. uh, The description she gave of the house really helped them when they were um, doing an archeological dig at Ephesus um, to, find the place where mary lived out the rest of her life Um, and it has been visited by uh, several popes since it was found and uh, recognized as a shrine
1: yeah and one of the things on the back of the book i like how it says if you've ever wondered what it would be like to be a spectator in the crowd at the crucifixion of christ read this book and i really do think that if you read it it really takes you there and it would be a special experience if you can't get to the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem, another way to get there is through the words of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich.
0: Pray for us. Our book we're discussing today is Characters of the Passion by Fulton J. Sheen, Lessons on Faith and Trust. It was written in 1947. It's about 100 pages long and a perfect book for Holy Week. And in the book, he takes the character, seven different characters of the Passion of Christ and discusses them at length.
1: The first character is Peter, A Lesson on Falling and Rising.
0: Now, Peter is like the perfect model of, you know, both human weakness and the human desire for holiness all wrapped up into one person.
1: And as Fulton Sheen states, if you have never sinned, you could never call Christ Savior. The next chapter is Judas, a lesson on self-pity.
0: Now, Judas is like one of the most complex characters in the Passion narrative. I mean, he here he is, a follower and disciple of Christ, uh, one of his friends, believing in what he says. And then he betrays him in the end uh, to the Jews and the Romans. It's a very complex character.
1: Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that I found interesting is the greatest harm to the cause of Christ is not done by enemies, but by those who have been cradled in her sacred associations and nourished in the faith. The scandal of the fallen always fallen aways provides opportunities for enemies who still are timid. The next one that we talk about is Pilot, A Lesson on Political Power.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly it. It draws the whole political process and the concept of, of religion and politics all together into one person in the form of Pontius Pilate.
1: Yes, and uh, it gives us, uh, Fulton Sheen gives us a warning that the grave danger today is not religion and politics, but politics in religion. And we find that very much today and also he talks about um, as religion fades, so will freedom for only where the spirit of God is, is there liberty. And then the next character is Herod, a lesson on self-love.
0: Now see, Herod represents like hedonism and, and kind of like our modern modern culture today, where it's all about, you know, feeling good and whatever, you know, whatever I want to do about me. And it's all about me and not about anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what Herod brings to this story.
1: Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes here is: There are so many in the world that way; they do not want to be better; they only want to feel better. And so that's very much that me society that we have going on. And and I, another one I like from that section was: uh, You cannot preach goodness to an evil world and expect anything less than to be crucified. And I think a lot of people too find that that. We're shocked that the world doesn't always want to hear what we have to say, but we have to remember that Jesus told us that. Uh, Chapter 5 is Claudia and Herodias, A Lesson in Opposites.
0: And this is interesting. You know, Claudia is the wife of Pilate, you know, and she's the one that warned Pilate not to have anything to do with Jesus in the trial because of the dreams that she had. And and basically she was bringing, you know, the goodness of faith and, and promoting faith into the equation of, holy week, whereas Herodias, the wife of Herod, you know, represents a more evil side and actually was the one who, uh, she's the one that wanted St. John the Baptist's head on a platter. Um, So not quite so good, not quite so Mm faith-filled.
1: And uh, Fulton Sheen describes winning the world to Christ or winning the world to the Antichrist requires playing one of two roles, that of Eve or Mary. And I think we see those themes a lot that good and evil. And so Claudia had goodwill and Herodian had evil will. The one embraced religion and the other one rejected it.
0: Rejected it. Yeah.
1: Uh, chapter six is Barabbas and the thieves, a lesson on true freedom.
0: What's interesting here too, is I, as I think of it is it kind of brings in this concept that, um, Just because the crowd wants something doesn't mean the crowd is right. So, you know, the crowd cried for Barabbas to be released. um, And, you know, so this idea that the majority is always right. Well, if it's an uninformed majority, then maybe it's not, you know, and it's it's very similar to what we see with social media today. You know, if you're out there on on your Facebooks and your Twitters or whatever and, you know, four out of five people are saying one thing. But if it's not an informed opinion, then just because the majority are saying it doesn't mean it's right.
1: Mm hmm. So uh, one of the things that Fulton Sheens has to say is, follow not Barabbas, the revolutionist who would remake society to remake man, but rather Christ, the revolutionist who would remake man in order to remake society.
0: Mm, Yeah, very good.
1: And finally, uh, the last one is The Scars of Christ, A Lesson in Enduring Faith.
0: Now, that's interesting to have the scars of Christ as a character of the passion, but you know it's really true because you know we, without Good Friday we can't have Easter. So without the the scars of Christ we can't have the resurrection. And and I think the lesson here is a little bit of the that the suffering that we all feel in our lives is what helps lead us to heaven. And those those scars on the journey that we we'll feel that we feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Fulton Sheen has to say on that is. What do the scars of Christ teach us? They teach us that life is a struggle, that our condition of a final resurrection is exactly the same as his, that unless there is a cross in our lives, there will never be an empty tomb. Hmm. And then he goes on to say, uh, what he offers is not immunity from evil in the physical world, but a chance for forgiveness for the sin in our souls. So it's that transfigure. From uh, our pains, sometimes gain us the riches in our spiritual life. And I think that's what this Holy Week is all about.
0: An excellent way to enter into Holy Week.
1: Have a blessed Holy Week. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
0: We'll see you on the road.